Job today. Job chapter 1, and we start in verse 13. Job 1, 13. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation that you have given us. We thank you that you did not leave us in the dark, that you gave us your word to be a light for us. I pray that as we study this hard section of scripture about the suffering of Job and his response to that, I pray that each, each of us would be encouraged, each of us would be exhorted by your word through your spirit, to respond rightly to suffering, not to curse God, not to curse you, but instead to worship you. I pray that would be the heart of each person in here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What we just read was a very sad passage. It's devastating um, to Job. Um, Job lost everything from what we just read. And... I think some of us in here have probably been through something similar. I don't think any of us has, has been through something that severe or suffering to that extent. Probably not. But all the same, some of us can relate to Job. Most of us can relate to Job in some way with his suffering. Maybe some people in here have lost a loved one recently. Maybe some of us have lost property or finances or investments in the recent um, economic downturn. Maybe some of us have sickness or a disability that just makes every minute of your life more difficult, more taxing. What was your response to that? What was your response? How do you respond to suffering? Today we're going to look at Job as an example, as a godly example of how to respond to suffering. Two simple points, and we'll expound on each of those. First, Job suffered severely. And second, Job responded rightly. First, we will look at the extent of Job's suffering. Everyone in here suffers 
Everyone in here experiences pain since the fall of man and since sin entered the world. Nobody in here has lived a perfect life that is free from the effects of sin and free from the effects of the fall. Everyone experiences suffering. It's a universal experience for humans. And as Christians also, we can especially expect to suffer. We can expect to suffer for Christ. 1 Peter 4, 12-13 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So we see that trials and hardships for Christians should be the norm rather than the exception. As Christians, we cannot expect to live a life free of suffering because the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. The message of the cross is in direct opposition to what the world believes. The world hates the cross. And us as followers of the cross, as those who were redeemed by the cross, who were redeemed by Christ, we are in opposition to the flow of the world. So we have to expect persecution and suffering as Christians. I'm going to argue from the text of Job that he suffered some of the worst suffering that humans can possibly experience, especially for that culture. But yet, I think the height of Job's response rises far above the depth of his suffering, the depth of his woes. We're going to look at three aspects of his suffering. First, the loss of his earthly possessions, the loss of his material goods. Second, the loss of his loved ones, his servants and family. And finally, the loss of his health. The three aspects of Job's suffering. First, his earthly possessions. Go back to verse 3. Job 1, verse 3. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Now to us, that doesn't sound very impressive. We look at um, that list of all the animals that he, that he had, and we think, okay, so the guy was a farmer. The guy was a simple country bumpkin farmer, right? In that age, in that day, your livestock was everything. Your livestock was your 401k plan, okay? Without livestock, you didn't have security. Livestock was used for trading. It was used for food. Um, you measured the wealth of a man. You measured the monetary value of a person based on how much livestock they had. It wasn't based on how much property you have. Maybe today, if you want to know how rich somebody is, we look at them and we say, oh, you know, the guy's got five houses, or the guy has um, this much money in the bank account, or the guy has this much money in savings. But in that day, you would say, well, how rich is he? Is, is he well off? And you would say, well, how many sheep does he have? You know, that was, that was kind of the currency of the day. That's how you measured uh, money. And in our day, it's, it's things like money, it's things like... Um, uh, you know, 401k plan, investments, stocks, savings, bonds. Those are the kinds of things that we use to measure um, our, our monetary value. On the news in this current economic crisis, we hear, new, we hear reports of people who used to be presidents, salespeople, um, CEOs, people who used to be, have executive positions. They were salespeople. Maybe they had a couple of cars. They had a nice house. And then all of a sudden, they're doing the work of a maintenance person, of a janitor, of um, just, just lower positions. They, they've had to really adjust their lifestyle now. And that's pretty incredible. That's a pretty great fall to go from the executive of a company 
all the way down to the bottom, the bottom of the ladder. And, and, and their, their um, income has just decreased so much. But yet I think Job's fall was even farther. Job fell even, even farther than that. See, Job had thousands of animals. Job had thousands of animals. And it says that he was the greatest of the men of the East. The Bible says something similar about Solomon, that he was the wisest. He was the, the greatest of all the men of his day. So Job was kind of the Solomon of his day. He was the Bill Gates of his day. He was the Donald Trump of his day. All right. He, Job was the uh, richest, the wealthiest in, in that area, in that area, and in that day. Imagine then, if you went to Taco Bell after church, as we'll probably do. <laughs> you go to Taco Bell after church, fine dining, and um, you pull up to the drive-through window, and Bill Gates is serving your um, your Mexican pizza or your your cinnamon twists. That's kind of what happened to Job here. He went all the way from the number one guy to just kind of a nobody, just kind of a normal person. Actually, even worse than a normal person, he had nothing. He lost all of his flocks. He lost all of his possessions. He lost his security. I mean, think about that. How scary would that be? All of us have seen our, our 401ks and our investments, right? If you guys have any bonds or anything, you've seen the, the numbers. The charts don't look good, right? If the, if the red line is going down, that's a bad thing. And that's what most of us uh, see in our, in our investments. And yet, Job lost everything. He had no security. Job felt the sting of Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. Job saw the fleeting nature of wealth. But Job responded rightly to this, as we'll see in the end. So first, Job lost his material goods, his security. Second, Job lost his loved ones, his servants and family. We read that Satan's attack on Job did not extend only to his material goods, but also to the whole group of people that he knew and loved. When it says servants, a lot of times we think that that might be something distant, that it was just kind of his, his employees, and, and probably some of them he didn't know that well. But when you consider that his whole life was, was earning this stuff and was working for these flocks, you've got to realize that the servants were probably close to him, probably his close friends, the people he worked with. Imagine going to work tomorrow and all your coworkers that you love and that you interact with, that you hang out with, are gone. His family and his servants, losing wealth and losing possessions is hard enough for most of us. That's so difficult to, lo to lose that security, but... Imagine if you lost all your investments and you lost your entire family and friends, your whole circle of people that you connect with in one swift motion. Most of us would collapse under that pressure. Most of us would just not be able to bear that kind of pressure. People depend on interaction with others for enjoyment and enrichment of life. And Job lost all of that. Job lost all of that in one day. All of us will face this difficulty at some point. All of us will face the loss of a loved one. But Job perhaps felt this with the greatest sting, losing everyone. He describes this in chapter 6 of uh, the book of Job. Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would be heavier than the sands of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. I like that analogy that he uses. Has anybody in here ever gone to the beach, and uh, you dig a, you dig a, a pit? And you, and you have someone bury you up to your head? You feel that pressure? You know how you know that, that heavy weight? We got two in the back. Very nice. 
you feel that weight and that pressure and you can barely pull yourself out of it and then your friends uh, leave you there <laughs> as the tide comes up. Not, not speaking from personal experience, of course. But that crushing weight that's on you, Job here says that all the sands of all the seas in the whole world is like that pressure that's on him when he feels the weight of the burden that he lost his loved ones. Job compares the heaviness of his loss to all the seas in the world. Job's grief is so great that it's as if he's under thousands of feet of sand buried helplessly under that pressure. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 and 2. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. Hebrews 9.27 it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. See, I think as Christians, as people who believe the Bible, it's easy for us to mentally, um, intellectually acknowledge the fact that all men die. I don't think anyone in here um, would say, yeah, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever on earth. I'm never going to die. My loved ones are never going to die. But when you think about actually living that out and actually coming to that point where that happens, that becomes all the more difficult. That becomes so much more difficult for each of us. The sting of death became very real to Job. Job felt that same pain also coupled with the loss of all his possessions. Just that, that pain and suffering and agony that he went through. It's hard, for us to, it's hard for us to understand. So Job lost all his possessions. Job lost all his loved ones. Finally, a third aspect of Job's suffering. He lost even his health. Job 2, 7 through 8. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Job's suffering, Job's suffering in his body, in his physical ailment, was total. It went from his head to his toes. If you guys have ever had like a skin irritation or if you've ever had any sort of pain, any sort of sickness, if you've broken a limb, that's so much pain just concentrated in one area of your body. Just imagine that pain spread out over your entire body, spread from the, your head to your toes. The Bible says that it was loathsome in that passage. It was loathsome, unbearably painful. Job 7.5, Job complains this, my flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. That's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, you just, just think about that, just the pain and the irritation that he went through. It's enough that he lost his possessions, his wealth, and his family, but to not even be comfortable in his own body. 1328, chapter 13, verse 28, he cries this out. I am decaying like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. His infirmity caused great pain. It rotted away his flesh. It hardened his skin. It caused infected sores to boil up on his skin. And he was able to get no relief from that pain, even in sleep. Chapter 17, 13 and 14. If I say to myself, my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me by vision. Yesterday, I had a bad headache in the middle of the day. I was trying to type this out. Um, and I started to get a really bad headache. I was staring at the computer screen, and, and I just started pounding. So I took some medicine, and I went to bed for like three hours, and, I, and, and it kind of felt better. You know, in sleep, I can't really feel the pain, and then I woke up, and 
you know, it was kind of, it had kind of subsided. The pain had gone away. Job wasn't even able to find that temporary relief from his pain. He says he, he couldn't even go to sleep because he would have nightmares and he would just feel the pain in his dreams and in his sleep. Job wasn't even offered temporary relief from his sufferings. All of that together equals unbearable pain and suffering, losing everything you own and your security for the future, losing all the people that you connect with in everyday life, and losing just the comfort of, of, of feeling well and feeling good in your body. All of these in the same day, and you just start to feel for Job, and you start to feel that pain. Some of us can relate to Job maybe on a couple of points, maybe on one or two points. Maybe some of us in here are sick. Maybe some of us in here can feel pain from day to day. But all of those just crushing him together. One-fourth aspect of his pain. I know I said I was only going to do three, but we got a bonus. One-fourth aspect of his pain was psychological. Job didn't even know that it was God working these through him, that God was testing him. To him, these just seemed like natural disasters. A fire burned down his house. Um, some, some raiders came in and, and, and killed some of his family and took some of his possessions. To him, these were just you know, happenstance, luck, right? Reading Job, we can sit here and say, oh, yeah, Satan went and did that to him, and God was testing him to see if he was godly. But to Job, he didn't know that. He didn't have that insight. Job just saw these as natural disaster. He recognized the hand of God in them, but he didn't have the insight that we have from the scriptures. So he didn't even know what was going on. Is, the, is God here? Is God working through my suffering? Maybe some of us can relate to those questions. So first, Job suffered severely. Point two, Job responded rightly. As you feel the unbearable weight of that suffering, as you see the depths to which the circumstances had sunk in Job's life, now look how high, how highly Job responds, despite the depth of his pain. He still trusted God throughout his suffering. There are three aspects of that. First, Job acknowledged his own emptiness, his own bankruptcy. Second, he recognized God's power. And finally, he praised God's glory. First, he recognized the shortness and vanity of man's existence apart from God. Verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. If you are in here today, and like Job, you have lost money, you have lost possessions, you have lost security and peace of mind, the proper response is, first of all, to acknowledge the fleeting nature of goods, the fleeting nature of wealth. Wealth will fade away. Wealth will disappear. You cannot take things with you to the grave. He says, naked I enter the world with nothing, and I will leave with nothing. John Piper puts it this way. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses. You never see a hearse carrying a body to the graveyard, to the cemetery, to be buried, and... Behind it is a big truck filled with all his goods that he's going to take with him. You don't see that because we can't carry things with us out of this life. I, uh, I was reading a story. I was reading about a, a rock guitarist on the Internet, and um, he died in 2004. He was tragically shot by a, a crazy fan that ran up on stage and just shot him just out of the blue, and he was gone. And he was buried with a, a guitar worth like $20,000. 
he was buried at one of the other guitar. Eddie Van Halen uh, wanted to kind of show respect to him, so he buried him with his guitar. And I just thought, what a waste, you know? <laughs> Did he show up to the gates of heaven and Jesus is like, oh, is, is that Eddie's? Is that Eddie Van Halen's? You know, come on in. The, it was worthless. I mean, think of the good that could have been done with that. Think of the good that could have been done with the, the money, that, that guitar that's now, it, the guitar is now buried six feet under, doing no good to anybody. And we somehow think that, that that's helpful. It's worthless. It's a waste. It was meant as a tribute, but it was useless to him. It did not help him face his maker. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, verse 7, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Riches are fleeting and fading like the grass and the flowers. Job's response to the loss of his possessions is godly because in it, we see that he did not waste his time. He did not invest in temporary treasures. Jesus himself explains this in Matthew 6. We read a little out of Matthew 6 earlier. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reason that we don't invest in the temporary, the reason that we don't invest in the fading riches of this world is that they are temporary and that your heart will follow where you have invested. If you invested your heart in this world that it will soon perish, your heart will perish also. John writes in 1 John 2, 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The motive for not investing in this life is that this life will soon pass away. Would you invest in a property if you knew that in a week it would burn down? Would you spend a million dollars buying a house if you got some sort of word that it was going to be consumed in a fire within a week? So then why do we invest in worldly things when we know that Jesus will judge it with fire? We read that a few weeks ago. Jesus Christ as judge in the book of Peter. That he will come and judge the world with fire. So why would we invest our heart and our passion and our time and our money in the temporary? It will soon be under Christ's judgment. We ought to set our hearts on the eternal. And the way to do that is to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven through service to Christ. So first, Job acknowledges the emptiness of the material. The bankruptcy of man apart from God. Second, the second thing Job does in his response to suffering. Not only does he acknowledge the fading nature of material goods but he also recognizes God's power over his circumstances. Job 1.21, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Job, through his tears and through his pain and suffering, is still able to see the hand of God over his life, blessing him, working through him. Too often in this culture, in America, in the West, we tend to see ourselves as the masters. We see ourselves as the rulers of our own fate, the rulers of our own destiny. William Ernest Henley, a 19th century English poet, wrote these famous words, I am the master of my fate, 
I am the captain of my soul. This sums up the pride and arrogance that we have, thinking that we control our lives, we control our circumstances. How many Disney movies do you watch and do your kids watch where the, the main theme of the movie is follow your dreams and follow your heart, and you're the king of your own destiny, you're the king of your fate? I, for one, am glad that I am not the master of my own fate. I'm glad that God is the master of my own fate. He changed my fate. See, when I was the master of my fate, I wanted to go to hell. I was pursuing pleasure. I was pursuing things that would lead to death. But God's plan for my life was much different. God wanted joyful celebration of him in heaven rather than a fiery eternity. In direct opposition to Henley's poem stands the teaching of the Bible, James 4, 13 and 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. God is in control of your destiny. God is in control of your circumstances. God is in control of your life. For God's people, if you're a Christian in here today, that is comforting. We can rest in the fact that we can trust God to do good to us. Even though Job could not rest on beds and couches to ease his pain, he could rest on this truth, that God was in control. Nebuchadnezzar declares the same thing in Daniel 4, verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? God works according to his own will. And what is that for the Christian? God's will for the Christian is good. God's will for the Christian is holiness. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Add these two facts together. First of all, God is all powerful. He accomplishes whatever he wants. You just read in the book of Daniel. God accomplishes whatever he wills. Whatever he wants. Fact number one. Fact number two. God wants good for you as a Christian. And God has the power to bring that out based on fact one. Those things together, for me, are comfort. If you add those two facts together, that God is omnipotent and he is all good and he wants good for me. Rest in that fact through your suffering and through your tears. It could be that God is growing you in holiness. He is growing you in your devotion to Christ through your pain and suffering. James speaks of this in James 1, 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We are to rejoice in trials because we know that they produce closeness with Christ and holiness towards God. So first, Job acknowledges man's bankruptcy. And second, he acknowledges God's power, God's sovereignty over his circumstance. And finally, the third thing that Job does based on those two truths, is to praise God. Job looks and he sees that man is empty. Man is vanity apart from God. And he sees that God is all-powerful. And looking on those two truths, his response is worship. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 21 is his cry. Job did not let those two truths become just another bullet point on his statement of faith. But he let those two truths permeate his life. He truly believed them and he lived them out in practice. 
he was a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Will you praise God no matter the situation, no matter the cost? Or do you only praise him? Do you only give lip service to him when your life is good? Job 13, 15. This is, this is Job's life verse, I think. This is, this is the cry of Job's heart through his suffering. Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Let me say that again. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Listen to the power of that proclamation. If I knew that God were to slay me, if I knew that God had plans to strike me dead before this sermon is over, would I still trust in him? Would I still trust in him? Ask yourself that question. If you knew that you weren't going to walk out this door today because God had ordained your death before the end of this service, would you still trust in him? Would you still put your life in his hands? Job did. Job was so bent on living his life in obedience to God that he would trust him to the death despite the circumstances. I, I hope that I can have that kind of praise for God. I hope that I can have that kind of trust for God. Even in good times, I, I don't know if I can say that. But Job was able to do so even though he lost everything. What a man of faith. What a great example for us. I would argue to you that Job's Praise and adoration and treasuring of God was only possible because of the first two truths, that man is weak and that God is powerful. Without truly believing in your life these two facts, it is impossible to have a high view of God. If you don't see God as powerful, if you think man controls salvation, if you think that man controls destiny and fate, then yeah, I'd understand why you didn't, wouldn't want to trust in God, because he's not powerful. He can't do anything. But Job acknowledged his power, and so Job praised him. Only those who believe in God's goodness and God's power are able to truly praise him and truly rest in him. In conclusion, many of us in here today are suffering. Most of us in here are suffering in some way today. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're in sickness today. Maybe you've lost finances and security for your future. It's so hard. It's so difficult. I know it's, I'm making it sound simple from the pulpit, right? And you're saying that, well, you're up there and you can't understand. Well, Jesus understands. He went through everything that we went through. And he did not sin in any of that. John 12, verse 27. Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Christ himself desired absolutely nothing in his suffering and death other than the glorification of God. Other than making God look beautiful, making God look valuable to the world, treasuring God in his heart. This is the perfect model for us to follow in our pain. We must treasure Christ, make him look glorious to the world. I will close with the story of Horatio Spafford who penned one of my favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul. Some of you might have heard this story before. Spafford was wealthy. Okay? Spafford was the Job of his day. Spafford was the Bill Gates of the late 19th century. Okay? He didn't have a lot of oxen or donkeys. He didn't have a lot of livestock. But he owned much real estate in Chicago. He was a very successful lawyer, very rich man. In 1871, tragedy struck him. He lost his only son. His only son died. And that same year, 
He lost most of his property and investments in the Chicago fire. It killed hundreds, destroyed four square miles of the city, and he lost most of his security and property. In 1873, he sent his wife and his four daughters to Europe ahead of him. He was going to be on the ship with them, but he had to stay behind because of the fires. He had to work some things out, and so there were some complications. So he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him to Europe, and he got a tele- telegraph a, a, a couple of weeks later. And it said, saved alone. Two words, saved alone. You see, his wife was the only one who made it across. The ship sunk halfway across the Atlantic and his four daughters perished. The ship had collided with another vessel and only his wife survived. He soon crossed after, him, after them to be with his wife. And as the ship passed over the spot where his daughters died, he began to write the following words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. He could declare that even through his suffering. He also lost an infant son later on in life, but he still went on to found a mission to the poor and hungry in Jerusalem. What a great inspiration to all of us that Spafford was able, through his tears, to still serve God and praise Christ. Rather than cursing God, he said the same thing that Job said. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you suffer in here today, hide these truths in your heart. First, that your suffering is temporary and the material does not matter in the end. Second, that God loves you and is in control of your situation. And finally, just praise God for his goodness through your tears. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being good to us, for being powerful, being able to rule over the circumstances in our life, even when it doesn't seem like it. I pray that if there is anyone in here that feels pain, that feels suffering, that has tragedy or agony in their lives today, God, that you would simply bring your love and your goodness and your comfort to their hearts as they see your power and goodness over the situation. Help us not to trust in the temporary, but to trust in you, the eternal. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.